0: From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox Talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more, this is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. I am Josh Nelson, alongside Jim Margulis, the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It is Thursday night, September 30th, 2021, as this is... The last Sox Machine live that we have for the regular season, Jim. We have made it, and unlike our first six seasons podcasting together, uh, this would be sentimental because oh man, we're almost on podcasting for, for the this season. I'm not
2: done with you yet.
1: No, I'm not done with you yet either. We got a whole postseason ready to go, and hopefully, million million he already breeds October contempt. <laughs> Uh, And and, uh, hopefully a deep October run for the Chicago White Sox. we got plenty of content for you guys in the upcoming weeks. But for this episode of Sox Machine Live, thank you to everyone watching the live stream at youtube.com slash Machine or for those watching the stream on SoxMachine.com. For the few of you watching on our Twitch page, hello. And uh, now we have the ability to live stream on Twitter. So if you follow me, on Twitter at socksmachine_josh, underscore Josh. I am assuming that the software is taking over my Twitter account while we are streaming the video. If you didn't get a chance to watch the live stream and you are listening into uh, as far as the, this episode in our podcast feed after the live stream, I'm just going to give you a heads up. We are streaming this around 7.30 p.m. Central Time Thursday night, and we're gonna be checking in on what's going on in Baltimore and Toronto. Because Jim, I, I don't know about you, but the this American League wildcard race is fascinating to me. And I am glad, really glad, the White Sox are not part of it. Because if, if the twins were as good as we thought they were, and if we thought that the White Sox were either gonna be competing for the American League Central or try to contend for the wild card. I may have an ulcer right now if I was a fan of Seattle, the New York Yankees, the Boston Red Sox, and the Toronto Blue Jays, because this race is just super tight.
2: Yeah, that's one thing that's confused me about the standings all year is when you have a division like the White Sox playing in the Central and with at least, you know, two bottom feeders, or we thought was going to be bottom feeders with Detroit and Kansas City, turns out Minnesota has been pretty much occupying the cellar the whole season. But when you have a team that's that or a division that's that bottom heavy, you would think that, you know, maybe Cleveland or whoever is going to be second was would be able to like pad their standings and get those wins and, and make it more competitive. But when you see the AL East, you know, generating basically all the wildcard heat aside from maybe Seattle now uh, coming in late, uh, that kind of, uh, I guess, to me, dispels the notion that, you know, there is a competitive advantage to be gained from playing in the central. I think it is for the top team. Like, I think we've seen a number of cakewalks over the years for the top team in the central, but when it comes to the wild card, they really, this would seem to be the year that that would give you some kind of advantage playing for the, uh, you know, second wild card spot playing in division with so many weak teams. But when you see what the AL East is doing uh, yeah, I guess there really is division or bust when it comes to uh, the central.
1: And also joining us on the live stream is White Sox Twitter's hype man. It is Bennett Carroll. Bennett, what is up?
3: Sorry about that. New microphone uh, took a little bit of adjusting to get used to.
1: (laughs) Gotta love that new microphone smell. Uh, But great to have you on Bennett. And we were just chatting about the American League wildcard race and, uh, you know, for those that don't know, Bennett is, you know, he's got a day job at SiriusXM over in the East Coast. So for you, geographically speaking, you know, you have this, you, you kind of get a bit of everyone as far as fan base I assume, uh, where you're at. H- how are the East Coast folks, the, the Coasties, feeling right now with this American League wildcard race?
3: uh the elites yes uh we're feeling pretty now. um so i will <laughs> say it's been really fun being in the the dc baltimore area and like watching everyone kind of rally around the baltimore orioles just to have some fun and to do you know that they're okay um i mean yeah yankees fans are nuts yankees fans are gonna be nuts no matter what's going on um <laughs> Uh, Red Sox fans are having alternating days of like existential doom and we're the greatest team in the world, which I guess for for Boston is pretty, pretty common as well. But they're like really getting into it. Uh, And then, yeah, Washington, no one cares this year. Uh, I was actually talking to someone like, yeah, any Nats fans here? And yeah, it was until the deadline. Yeah, me too. I don't know what's happened the last two months. So it's it's been fun. Uh, just rallying around that, that Orioles team to just, just cause chaos. It doesn't matter who you hurt, who you take down with you. Just go crazy. Yeah. The Orioles
2: Twitter account has been great.
3: Yeah. I actually know one of the people who run it and I've been like very big fans of their work, especially recently.
1: (laughs) They're really embracing it. During the live stream, uh, we're going to be checking in on the scores Uh, so as you can see here, we get shifted over and right now, Baltimore is leading Boston to one and in Toronto, get that loaded up here in a second in the bottom of the fourth inning. It is one to one that game still tied between the blue Jays and the Yankees. So like I mentioned, we'll check in once in a while during the live stream for those that are listening to the podcast feed. uh, You probably know how these games end by the time you listen to this episode of Sox Machine Live. Uh, And you can kind of chuckle to yourself, but for us that are Recording and streaming live as far as this episode, we are learning in, in, in real time. So we will be checking in on those scores um, because it is such a fascinating race right now in the American League. But moving back over to the White Sox, they just swept the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, it's a two-game series, but they do sweep the Reds. They won three out of four against Cincinnati, and maybe you can make a case. They should have won all four games, uh, if you recall, as far as the extra innings fiasco back in mid-May uh, when Liam Hendricks was running the bases. But this was a really good performance by the White Sox, Jim, coming home after a lengthy road trip. And the offense showed up in a big way. And really, Luis Robert is the exclamation point for this series for the White Sox against the Reds, uh, especially his performance on Tuesday with the two home runs. He's
2: making it look unfair, Uh Nobody should be able to shorten their swing and hit the ball harder and farther. Just, it's, like, I I guess I always go back to golf because it's, like, one sport I can kind of know a little bit about mechanics in terms of, you know, by by the time I was done playing baseball, like, mechanics, the whole idea of mechanics basically shot for me. I I peaked early. But with golf, it just, you know, you can have, like, a really long, big swing, and then you realize, like, you're using none of your parts correctly, and you're creating no leverage, and all this effort is basically wasted. And then you, uh, you know, kind of, go to a golf pro you tighten up a little bit and you're doing a lot more less effort and i imagine it's the same thing with robert except he's already playing against you know he already got there like he's already got the pro, so you shouldn't think that that kind of refinement should be possible where he is against the level of competition that he's playing but yeah he's making the game look pretty easy i uh, i think the only sign of real uh Mortality or any kind of uh, just sign that he's among them is that ball that he dropped in the warning track still struggles a little bit with going back, going all the way to the wall, timing that, uh, knowing where he is. So I think that's just something that keeps him real.
1: And Bennett, one of the things that we're going to hear a lot on the national media landscape previewing this upcoming postseason is who's going to be the next Randy Rosarena. Who's going to be the guy that hits 10 home runs this postseason? And for White Sox fans, I think with Luis Robert, you can definitely dream, and it is definitely possible, especially what we have seen from Luis Robert coming off the injury list. Do you think that, let's just call it what it is, this heat wave of Robert's run since rejoining the White Sox from his hip flexor injury, do you think this could continue to the postseason?
3: Yeah, solar flare, levels of heat. Ah, yeah, he there you go. I like yeah, it. I got it. Uh, yeah, I mean, you keep going, well, it can't last forever, and it, it keeps lasting, and we're not three weeks from the playoffs anymore. We're not two weeks. We're seven days from, from ALDS game one tonight. So there is no reason for him to not be able to keep this going. Like, honestly, he's going to get a series against Detroit, who – I'm just going to assume he's beaten up on because he's beaten up on everyone. Um, so unless they pull something or, or, or find a weakness uh, within him, like there's, there's nothing that can stop him right now, honestly, except for maybe himself. And that's, if he wants to,
1: that's an interesting point. And I guess the only way that he could maybe get ahead of himself or mix himself up is is if robert is trying too hard at the plate gym but as you mentioned every swing of robert even the ones where he's not making good contact everything looks smooth everything looks mechanically uh good like there's there's no hiccups as far as his swing unlike last year when it was like oh man he missed he missed two fastballs here comes the slider robert is striking out now it's all right try to get ahead of you poor amir garrett with a first pitch fastball and watch this puppy go 112 miles per hour exit velocity. And uh, I honestly thought being at the stadium, it was going to hit the Xfinity uh, as far as a platform in left field. It was hit so hard and so far. and was an absolute, no doubter. I, mean, I don't know what else to say about Luis Robert, other than he has been tremendous, Jim. He's got multiple swings.
2: I think that's the thing he didn't have last year. He had that just kind of big, long, um, yeah kind of going for the fence maybe not always going for the homer but just hitting for power like either whether he would hit it over the fence or just like muscle it out to right field if he were late he would just use like his raw strength to try to get either homers or singles kind of or or singles a leg into doubles but uh just once the uh league got wise to him like oh high fastball is a little bit higher than he likes and sliders down and away. And that combination basically puts him in trouble immediately. Now he's got the uh, plate coverage that he didn't have last year. And as we've seen, like when Eloy Jimenez is rolling, when Jose Abreu is rolling, like, uh, I guess, like, you you can even extend to Sal Perez, just plate coverage can be a curse. Like when you uh, extend beyond the corners, you know, below the zone, above the zone, we saw last year, like that he just didn't quite summon up regularly enough to make an impact. But when he can do it, when he, when he can, you know, foil the best laid plans for him, that's, I think the, the thing that makes him scary, (laughs) that makes him, uh, you know, just unbelievable to watch for fans. And then for opponents, like he should be easy to get out. Like, you know, it's kind of like Sal Perez, like sometimes he looks foolish and sometimes he gets ahead of himself and, you know, has an easy first pitch out, but you know, Sal Perez has 48 homers. And I know, like just mentioning his name is going to drive a lot of White Sox fans nuts. But, like, he's just a guy who can produce outside the zone in ways he shouldn't. And I think a, a, a Robert's doing the same thing, but also just not much inside the zone is getting past him when he's in a mode where he wants to put in play.
1: Well, other than Luis Robert, because I think we talk about Luis Robert all the time uh, with the way that he has been hitting. And we should. Uh, Gavin Sheets had a very good series for the White Sox. And Gavin Sheets in his last 15 games, uh, which is spanning 40 plate appearances, is hitting 300 with a .404 on-base percentage, slugging 600. he He's got three homers and nine RBIs. Uh, and he had two home runs. He had, he had a home run on Tuesday and a home run on Wednesday against Cincinnati. And he drove in three in the White Sox win on Wednesday. And Bennett, you know, with Gavin Sheets... He should not be starting in right field during the postseason. Uh, During the regular season, maybe this weekend against Detroit, sure. But when you get in the nitty-gritty and it's time to hunker down and try to put the best possible team, the best possible lineup uh, for each and every single game, Gavin Sheets should not be in right field. However... I think the case is now pretty convincing that if it's a right-handed starting pitcher on the mound during the postseason, Gavin Sheets is probably your DH. How do you feel about that possibility that Sheets suddenly becomes the White Sox primary DH during the postseason?
3: Yeah. When you said who's going to be this year's Randy or Rosarena, Gavin Sheets was the first player to flash through my mind, honestly, just in terms of, uh, not as heralded of a super prospect as a Luis Robert, but a guy who just comes up and can just mash. And as you said, he really has been crushing right-handed pitching, not so much left-handed pitching, but I would love to keep seeing him every day. Um, He's been, as we said, uh, just mashing the ball. And he's a guy who, if he starts to catch something, could really be an asset in the playoffs, even with left-handed starters coming off the bench late in games. And Jim, I...
1: I know I've tried to convince you. I have tried to convince you many times this season because I am on the Gavin Sheets bandwagon. I buy the adjustment that he has made for his swing. Maybe it doesn't work all that great against left-handed pitching, but at least against righties, I, I do think that this is a sustainable plan of attack approach that Sheets has, and he is getting the power as far as being able to put the ball over the fence for the White Sox in his limited playing time. Are you okay with Sheets being the primary DH for this upcoming postseason?
2: Against Reddies, yes. And I think the last three games are what I've wanted to see. Like before, you know, his first two months or so of games, like he would have like one major monster performance where it makes sense. Like, oh, there is the lefty uppercut swing. There's a ball going 410 feet into the Goose Island. Uh, There's a walk. There's the combination of patience and power that, you know, he's – built this year for himself in, in Charlotte and just carried to Chicago and then he'll disappear for like three or four games and maybe go like one for 10 over that stretch. Walk. You know, he doesn't look bad at the plate, just missing fastballs or getting into two strike counts, getting in defensive modes and just not being able to do damage. But the last few games reaching base twice in the last three games, uh, a piece homering two games in a row, like the bats that he had against uh, Sonny gray and jeff hoffman um where they got uh, no i think it's gray both times actually where he got ahead early was just kind of just lobbing curveballs at him and getting ahead but then trying to get him out with the same thing curveballs change-ups slow stuff low uh lower than he threw it to get the strikes like Sheets wasn't really biting wasn't really thinking about it uh was staying back uh and then tried to bust him with the fastball try to sneak it by him thinking like okay change of pace like The one fastball he got with those two-strike counts, he did something with. Line drive single, uh, crushed homer. That's, I think, the timing I wasn't seeing earlier, the ability to kind of, uh, I guess, modulate his rhythm between the fast stuff and the slow stuff against major league pitching. Seeing that two games in a row, uh, three games in a row, when you go back to the end of the Cleveland series, that's, I think, what he wasn't showing before that made me think, like, having him starting every day might be a a tough ask. I think right now with both who he is playing like and who he's competing with. I think it's pretty easy choice.
1: The other takeaway that I had for the Cincinnati series is that the white Sox gave out a pretty awesome bobblehead of Jose Abreu and his, uh, 2020 American league MVP. Uh, I'm sorry, Bennett. I was only able to snag one. (laughs) I know it was your birthday recently (laughs) and I I feel kind of guilty, uh,
3: But, yeah, he's going to walk up and down
1: the aisles trying to look for (laughs) one left under seats. Under
3: seats? Yeah, come on.
1: I'm not that kind of guy.
3: Uh, (laughs) For some people, not for me.
1: (laughs) My Sox Summer from the 108 is your guy. So definitely hook up with him. Uh, And for those that are watching the live stream, this is part of the White Sox Twitter must see Thursday. Our friends from the 108 are going to start live streaming at 8:30 p.m. Central Time, which you can catch them on their YouTube channel at youtube.com/slash/fromthe108. All right, so that's the offense for the White Sox, and on the pitching side, Ronaldo Lopez performed really well on Tuesday, and somehow, some way, he continues to improve. Uh, which is great to see. And I think that he's going to be part of the postseason roster, but all eyes were on Carlos Rodon on Wednesday. And when you look at the results that Rodon was able to generate five scoreless innings, only allowed one hit. That's awesome. That should give every White Sox fan tons of confidence that he is ready for the postseason. Then you look at the pitch velo- velocity data. And that's something I'm going to bring up here for those that are watching on YouTube. And I'll read it off for all those listening to the podcast. Rodon's four seam fastball, the fastest it was against Cincinnati, was 92.7 miles per hour. It averaged 91 miles per hour. That's four and a half miles per hour slower than his season average. The slider was five miles per hour slower. Than his season average. His changeup, which is fine if the changeup gets slower, but his changeup was 3.6 miles per hour slower than his season average. Jim, I, I'm conflicted because the results are great. And any way that a pitcher can get five scoreless innings in this league at that ballpark, only allowing one hit, you take it, no matter how it looks. But for Carlos Rodon, we have seen a version of him where, again, against Houston, where he's throwing 98, 99 miles per hour, and he is just a monster on the mound. What, how, you know, what did you take away from Rodon's start against Cincinnati, and how are you digesting what we saw Wednesday night?
2: To me, it feels a little bit like he's Henry Rowangartner just after the uh what a reference yeah the the shoulder goes back to normal it's not quite that severe but it feels like it relative to what he was blown away guys uh you know early later somehow ramping like his fastball is above average early somehow it became like elite in the sixth inning he was his own reliever as we talked about like he didn't need the sixth inning guy the third time through guy because he just turned into a different better carlos or don for that situation. Now he's mortal. He's what he was. It kind of reminds me a bit of Reynaldo Lopez. They're kind of a cut from the same cloth here in that like Lopez has reverted to his 2018 self to where he's fastball centric. The slider is okay. Not great. Decent change up some or a decent change of pace or change of like a uh, location and speed from the fastball. But ultimately like he's a fastball guy. And we mm-hmm. know, I think now enough about him that you can't expect him to like anchor rotation with that approach, but if he's filling one out, he's not bad. Like as a fourth fifth starter, Lopez is fine when he's throwing ninety seven and the slider is okay because you know the fastball is just enough for a lot of teams. And Rodon kind of feels like he's back to where he was, uh, you know, last season or two seasons ago, where it's just kind of murky in the low nineties. Uh, you know, after the surgery, is it coming back all the way? Is this, is he going to have to turn into like a craftier year down? Is he going to have to slider people to death? The one difference is that he's still getting by this fastball. Like, I think we've expected him to have to pay the price for a lesser fastball. <laughs> and like, I'm looking at his five starts since the uh, Cubs start where he struck out 11 and then had to go on the injury list. 23 innings, 25 strikeouts, six walks, 16 hits, 2.35 ERA, two homers allowed over five starts. Like he has not had to pay the price for being the lesser version. And he's faced like Pittsburgh and Detroit, but he's also faced Boston and he faced Toronto. So it's like it's been a what, you know, kind of the spectrum of opponents that he'd face over the course of a season. And it just the other shoe hasn't dropped yet. And I don't know if that means like it's going to during the postseason, but for the time being, like. I don't, as long as he's able to bounce back, like the question now is like whether he can rebound or whether like he's borrowing something from the bank. Every time he goes and makes a start in this post injured era. And like now, next time he goes out, he'll be throwing 89. Like, I don't know if it's just diminishing returns all the way down, but in this form, it seems like he can start a postseason game and he can at least be trusted to go one time through. And you know, when it comes to the postseason. uh, that might just be all you need from him given the way it's managed. Like I, mean, I keep waiting for his fastball to be damaged and it just isn't. I mean, he get a lot of fly balls and maybe that'll be a recipe for disaster. But at some points, you know, you just kind of have to trust the results at some point and say like, Oh, he's got enough fastball life. He's commanding it better than he ever has. And the slider is good enough too. So it's a combination that works as long as you don't ask too much from him.
1: I, I do have to say he was commanding the fastball. Well, in the sense that he was living up in the zone, but it was like he understood on how every single Cincinnati Reds plane swing was working. And they just could not barrel any of those fastballs up. And that's why, you know, when you look at the batted ball data, and if if you gave it to us, Jim, randomly, we were looking at it and say, oh my gosh, this pitcher gave up nine fly balls to guarantee Ray Field. How many home runs did they give up? Uh, Cincinnati, they just could not barrel it up, e- even though the fastball is 91-92. So they, this goes to my next question, Bennett. Is this version of Carlos Rodon good enough to give you confidence that for a third time in 2021 he can keep Houston at bay?
3: Yes. Um, which maybe I'm the fool. Uh, but he... <laughs> i mean, it's, it's happened before. But... It just feels like even if he's different, which, again, maybe that works to his advantage because you're going to have Houston coming in with prior data and he, he's throwing it differently. If he's got something, a, I, I think there's legitimately a chance that just like with the the the, uh, the rest of the team this last month, he's been taking a little bit off and, and trying to not preserve innings but preserve just arm, if you would. Arm uh, integrity. In, yeah, it right, not – Going 100 when he's facing Pittsburgh, you know, I can understand that. But it's, you know, if if it's he can have it back, then yeah, I don't think, I think he's unbeatable when he's, when he was pumping what he was doing against Houston last time. But if he's this, I don't even want to say like wounded where like he, you know, he's more dangerous when he's wounded because it's not that. But when he's just got, when he's got to be that craftier self, like, that, yeah, he can do that for a start. Like, I think he could definitely do that against Houston when it's repeated against playoff teams. And there's a lot, you know, they can much easier identify like, okay, this is what he's doing. It might be different. But for that first start, like, I feel fully confident in him.
1: Yeah, my only concern is if the command goes wayside, if he's not locating as well as he did against Cincinnati, because ninety-one, ninety-two in the middle of the zone, against houston is just asking for trouble and i guess maybe that's more important now than the velocity itself jim is how Rodon is commanding his pitches and in the past he didn't really have to rely so much on command because of the premium stuff that he had And that's why I think the first half of this season was so special, because you had premium velocity and he was commanding the pitches. Everything was put together. Maybe he's entering this next level of his professional baseball career where I am the veteran pitcher. I don't have 100% anymore, but I know where these pitches are supposed to be where I can't get hurt. And if he understands that and he can do it again, like he did against Cincinnati because he's already displayed it once. I have more confidence at Carlos Rodon throwing 91, 92. than I have Dallas make making a start for the white Sox.
2: There's a little bit of that. I think the other thing that was nice to see in the Cincinnati start was the slider like against Detroit. I think the two scary things were the plummeting velocity. And then the slider was just this loopy, uh, slurvy it just it almost looked like a, a you know he was throwing it for strikes like it was almost get me over <laughs> everything was throwing is get me over or slipping out of his hand and, and kind of flying up in arm side and looking like it had no bite on it and he didn't really have to showcase it that much against Cincinnati but when he did it had the good late break that dive even if it was slower it had the sharper downward tilt to it that I think gets the swinging strike gets the uh you know Well, I get fly balls this time, but it gets like pounded ground balls to the left side. It doesn't get damaged. Like it just uh, buys him a strike, gets him off the fastball, uh, and makes hitters think about it. So if he has that, along with, you know, okay, decent fastball command, throwing 92. And I think just maybe something about his delivery, too, just might have an extra hop on it that just makes hitters like not be able to time him up as easily as other ones. Sometimes his delivery also has like a literal hop on it at the end of his uh, pitches. Like he'll just do a little you know, spring off the mound. But he has a little bit of extra oomph on it just when it comes to just how his arm comes through and maybe that's just something that hitters see that makes it hard to square up. But I think the slider is important for not having the results that he had against Detroit to where just, he's just barely trying to hang on because the slider is nothing. The changeup is not a pitch he wants to lean on and just, Here's hoping you don't hit my fastball. It's all of a sudden 89. I think that, that added a, there There was some desperation, I think, to his start, to LaRousse's reaction, to Rodon's uh, terseness after the game, uh, not wanting to talk about it. That wasn't here this time because the slider was good.
1: Okay, so the slider has always been, it's been his bread and butter. It's the reason why he was drafted so high and why everybody loved him at NC State, a 70-grade slider. And, you know, this year it's been his fastball that's been tremendous. Maybe he has to go back to the slider being the best pitch that he's got in his upcoming postseason. So quick temperature check after Rodon's final start. Game four of the American League Divisional Series, if it gets that far, Bennett, you good with Carlos Rodon making that start?
3: Yeah, no, not a question. Absolutely.
1: All right. That's pretty confident. Jim, are you the same? I wrote about it on socksmachine.com <laughs> <laughs> Plug. Hey, that's, we're in the business of plugging, man. <laughs> Go to socksmachine.com and you can see on how Jim would set up as far as his playoff rotation. We'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, when we preview the upcoming series at Detroit Tigers um uh, before we do that a a quick check here uh let's uh check in what's going on Baltimore is now leading 6 to 1 in the top of the 7th inning and the Blue Jays have now gone ahead of the New York Yankees the Blue Jays are leading 2 to 1 in the top of the 6th inning boy I, I i don't know jim i <laughs> I don't know how Boston can live with themselves if they lose two out of three in Baltimore. They had the easiest path two, three in Baltimore and then go to D.C. to face a banged up, you know, nothing to play for Nationals team. I, I don't know. I, I don't know how Boston can go into the postseason if they don't come back tonight and find a way to get, to get that game to extra innings or score six runs late against Baltimore's bullpen uh, and, and come from behind and win that game. I, I just, I don't have a good feeling about the Red Sox after this series in Baltimore. Yeah. But I think the one
2: thing that would keep hope alive is the Yankees have been that team all year and that they've every time they look like they're going to be on the roll they step in something or somebody gets hurt or they make some kind of hilarious base running decision that goes awry and fans want to fire Aaron. There's a reason like why Aaron Boone's been on the hot seat like seven different times here, because <laughs> they often look not getting losing streaks, but often look really bad while doing it. So that's why I felt like the most confident about the blue Jays than either of the Yankees or Red Sox, just because the blue Jays look like they finally put it all together. They are home. Like they had, Toronto finally, instead of uh, Florida and Buffalo, like they had real reasons to think that it was all coalescing. Yankees, yeah, I just don't trust them. Red Sox, kind of, yeah, they've been overachieving all season, but I did enjoy seeing September Chris Sale come back <laughs> and having, because we saw that a couple times yeah. where like second half, uh, either a must-win game or like should-win game against an inferior opponent, and just him not getting the job done and having nothing to say afterwards, like that's kind of comforting.
1: (laughs) Some things never change.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
1: So again, we'll check in before those games go to final. But our next topic, and this this really caught me surprised. I was hosting a Twitter space on Wednesday before the game between the White Sox and Reds, previewing that game, sharing our thoughts and our expectations for Carlos Rodon's final tune-up. And it was told by Jordan Mazowski from Sox on 35th. Uh, He informed me that Tim Anderson was just served a three-game suspension for what happened in Detroit. And I have a screenshot of the video here. And it looks like when all of the players, managers, and umpires convened on Monday late afternoon uh, in Detroit after Jose Breu got hit by a pitch and after Jose Breu had his hard slide at second base, umpire Tim Timmons and Tim Anderson got into it. And it appears that Anderson made contact with Tim Timmons. And because of that contact, Major League Baseball has decided to serve a three-game suspension of tim anderson and this is a regular season suspension so it won't impact Tim anderson in the upcoming postseason it could impact him for opening day of 2022 if he if he loses his appeal jim is there any chance that we can get some type of re- resolution as far as Anderson's appeal process here, or are we really not going to know if the suspension has been reduced or waived or Major League Baseball decides to stick with its three-game suspension until we're in mid-October when we're already talking about you know elimination games for the Divisional Series?
2: Well, with only, you know, a weekend series left, and yeah, I'm thinking about Mike Wright, he got his suspension knocked down from three games to two, and they normally don't go like three games to one. You know, they, they don't usually knock it down that much. Usually, uh, they, they borrow a game off and say, like, just get out of the way, and and do it that way. So I think, yeah, he doesn't want to have to miss two thirds of the last series of the season. He doesn't want to miss a tune up. Like it's not that important. Yeah. Or it's like opening day or whatever happens going into next season is less important than making sure he's right going into October. So I can see it dragging on.
1: Yeah. It would just suck Bennett because we'll get hyped up for the 2022 season. And we're going to talk about, Oh, what's the opening day lineup going to be, Tim Anderson leading off, nope.
3: <laughs> Larry Garcia opening day again. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm I'm already looking forward to him being discounted in my fantasy baseball leagues because people are going to see a little S next to his name and think he took you know, performance enhancing or something and missing an opening weekend. Uh, yeah, it would be very annoying for him to 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 miss the opening weekend, but I would rather him miss that than than here. So I'd, I'd rather him just. And I think I said the opposite before, but I've changed my mind. Um, Take your time, you know, make sure you're good to go now. You've gotten your two and a half weeks of rest. Uh, Tune up and let's get ready to go.
1: So you both agree, don't serve the suspension now. Play these games against Detroit. If you have to serve a suspension, miss opening day next year.
2: Yeah, only if it were knocked down to one game, he could probably afford to take it. But if it's two, that's too much.
1: Got it. All right, well... There is a chance that Tim Anderson will miss the first two or three games of the Chicago White Sox 2022 season after what happened in Detroit on Monday after the Tigers hit Jose Abreu and Abreu slid hard at second base. This is going to be I don't know what to make as far as this upcoming series between the White Sox and the Detroit Tigers. But we're going to be talking about that next here on Sox Machine Live. First, let's look at the White Sox pitching probables for this weekend series. And Lance Lynn is getting the ball Friday night, October 1st, at 7.10 p.m. Central Time for the White Sox. Lucas Giolito will make the Saturday night start. That's at 6.10 p.m. Central Time. And on Sunday, October 3rd, I love this. For those that have been longtime listeners of the Sox Machine podcast, uh, we love the idea of everyone playing at the same time on the final day of the regular season. And boy, it, I I know every I love red zone for NFL watching. I really wish Major League Baseball had an effective red zone channel because if it's coming down to the final day between the Yankees and the Blue Jays and the Red Sox. And the Seattle Mariners. Uh, I don't want to keep flipping through all those games at MLB.tv. I only have so many screens to go around, guys, uh, to be able to watch all those games. But the White Sox will be starting at 2.10 p.m. Central Time, and Dylan Cease is going to get the ball for that game. Uh, again, uh and plug, Jim, you wrote about this on SoxMachine.com. Uh, e- even though it's Lynn, Giolito, and Cease you still want to go Giolito, Lynn, and Cease when it comes to the American League Divisional Series.
2: Yes, because of Lynn's knee and the way they've managed him. He hasn't had a start on regular rest basically the entire month. And so it seemed like that you don't want to have to all of a sudden need him on short rest or irregularly when he hasn't been used to even going out there every five days. So if they start him... On Friday and then wait to game two, that's extra rest. If he then comes back for game five, if necessary, then he'd be on full rest. So I think that's probably the way to get the most out of him for the first series.
1: And if you go that route, Bennett, you could have, let's say if it goes five games between the White Sox and Astros and the hypothetical, the White Sox win a five game series uh, against the Houston Astros and move on. If you do want Carlos Hernan to make that game four start, Lucas Giolito can make the game five start and Lance Lynn is ready to go for you. Game one of the American league championship series. How would you set up as far as the first three game rotation for the white Sox in the divisional series?
3: Yeah, I'm think I'm trying to think of that, uh, the way that I would do, um, yeah, I guess I, I agree. I think Giolito at game five is is the way I would want it. Um, I I think, not that I don't love Lancelin and trust Lancelin, but I just, with his injury issues and with, with other things, I'd rather let give Giolito, who I know can fight through just about anything and has fought through just about anything, uh, I'd rather give him that game uh, with the knowledge that you then get Lynn game one of the ALCS if he can win.
1: I I just have this strange feeling because I agree with both of you. I think Lucas Giolito should get game 1. And based on the amount of rest days from Friday and Saturday to October 7th, both Lynn and Giolito are going to be rested ready to go for game 1. I just wonder if La Russa decides to go to Lynn and the veteran over Giolito. I mean, is that a real possibility, Jim? It's possible. I mean, like he's good. It's not a matter of, I think, you know, if it were,
2: if Lynn were fully healthy, if we didn't know that he was battling a knee issue and like, you know, kind of doing the back rotation thing that he's trying to loosen up. If you were showing like no signs of physical discomfort, then yeah, I would say like flip a coin, whichever one, you know, gets to start cool. Um, But knowing that that's, I think my only objection to it is just the fact that he's had to battle a lot. The White Sox have, uh given him an easy schedule, lots of ample rest. So that's where I, I think that I would be surprised if Lynn were to start game one. But not you know it's not a character. You know, La Russa knows him. He's won a one World Series with him. They go mm-hmm. back a long way. But I would say that you know Giolito is yeah, I think you can almost call him a veteran now. I mean it's three years of Sa Young votes. He, you know, he has a great postseason start under his belt. So he's not, you know, his career maybe as isn't as like uh, you know leathery and weather beaten as Linz like he hasn't seen and lived everything over a decade but he's pretty close I mean he's had lows he's had highs he's had a battle back from adversity he's pitched through injuries he's had surgeries like he's pretty close to a veteran himself to where like he would get that I would feel comfortable giving him that same amount of cred.
1: Well, we'll see what Larusa does. We're waiting for game times. Uh, Major League Baseball has announced what the game times will be for both the American and National League wild cards. Shocker, uh, they're in prime time. It'll be 7.08 p.m. Central Time. Uh, For both the American and National League wildcard games, we're still, waiting know, what the times are going to be for the divisional series matchups. I know that's a really popular question, especially with the White Sox, uh, as far as their postseason tickets have been on sale now. Uh, If you did not buy them, uh, chances are you're going to have to use a third party website uh, to get tickets or you're going to have to call your friends and family who are white Sox season ticket holders uh, And beg uh, if they have any extra tickets for you, uh, but we're, still, food we're poison. still not sure What was that <laughs>
2: food poison?
1: Oh Jim is uh, Jim's going for straight-up murdering Not murdering, uh, just, too- just take him out Inconvenient for a couple
3: days. Yeah, it's perfect.
1: <laughs> oh, I got it. Just temporary sickness. Okay So Jim is suggesting poison uh your, fan, food poisoning. your family poison sounds <laughs>
2: menacing food poisoning sounds accidental
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh man but yeah uh we're still waiting for time so once we do know what the times are for those potential matchups uh, we'll let you guys know on SoxMachine.com. there is the possibility it's a faint hope but there is the chance that the White Sox could host games one and two. Uh, however, uh, check in the score right now as we are live streaming. The Houston Astros going into the seventh inning have a one run lead on Tampa Bay, three to two. If the Astros win that game, then the White Sox need to sweep Detroit and hope that Houston gets swept in the final weekend of the regular season. Um, Because Houston has the tiebreaker over the White Sox. So if you're a White Sox fan watching this on the live stream on youtube.com slash Sox machine and you want them to have home field advantage, you are rooting for Tampa Bay in the final innings in Houston to come back and win that game to give a little bit more buffer for the White Sox uh, as far as that faint hope to host uh, games one and two of the American League Divisional Series rather than games three and four. Before we wrap up this version of Sox Machine Live, uh, let's check in one more time to see what has happened. And oh my gosh, Robbie Ray melted down. The New York Yankees hit multiple home runs. Off Robbie Robbie Ray. <laughs> and the Yankees are now leading 5-2. to two. The Boston Red Sox scored a run, so Baltimore is up 6-2. to two. In the bottom of the 7th inning, the Blue Jays-Yankees are in the top of the 6th inning. Uh, It would be pretty impressive if if the Yankees can hold off Toronto and win, because they'll win 2 out of 3 in Toronto after sweeping the Boston Red Sox. And that would really put the Yankees in a very strong position to not only make the wild card, but host that wild card game with Boston, Toronto, and Seattle. Uh, fighting for that final wild card spot. So big inning for the New York Yankees uh, to take the lead against the Toronto Blue Jays. The Yankees currently leading 5-2 in the 6th inning as it's going to the bottom of the 6th inning now. And at the bottom of the 7th inning, it is Baltimore still leading the Boston Red Sox 6-2. And, uh, and it's The Braves are about be, to clinch too, it looks like. Oh, uh, the Atlanta Braves, finally.
2: Yes. Uh, looks like they're going to put yeah, away the, the Phillies
1: right now the score is five to nothing yes so we'll finally get the resolution in the national league east uh so we're in the final weekend of the regular season and what i like to finish off with as far as this episode of socks machine live is what is one thing that you're hoping to see in the final weekend of the regular season and it could be white Sox, it could be anything in major league baseball so bennett what are you hoping to see in the final weekend of the regular season
3: I mean, I kind of addressed it with the Orioles earlier, but I uh, chaos is just fun. Like I, I've, I've said on record, I think the the wild card game is the best thing that baseball has done in decades. I say that knowing full well, it's because my team has never had to play in it and I've never had to sweat through it. So if we could get just like, if they could all tie, if we could get like a three-team tie or four-team tie and they have to fit, because we've looked it up, the MLB rules only list what happens if three teams are tied They don't have an official rule on record for a four-way tie. So I just want to see what would happen. Uh, It would be really funny. So chaos and then health, obviously. Okay. (laughs) How about
1: you, Jim? What is the one thing you're hoping to see in the final weekend of the regular season?
2: Yeah, you took my – well, that was one of my answers, was just the uh, quintal central there's there's nothing in the rule book moment for (laughs) uh, baseball, uh, which is always great. But beyond that, I'll I'll say like White Sox-centric. One is to – Stay out of, you know, extracurricular business against Detroit. I think ultimately they're not worth it. You know, now I think if say Abreu gets hit again, or if there's like another, you know, kind of severe, painful, audible <laughs> hit by pitch, whether it's, you know, Abreu, I'm kind of like curious, you know, what will happen, whether warnings will be issued. Um, but yeah, I, I don't mind like exchanging one just to trigger warnings. But I think just getting everybody out healthy, alive, unbruised, uh, you know, just no suspensions, no shoving. The Tigers just aren't worth it. There'll be 19 games next year if they want to try to settle scores or even things up. That's when you do it. I think last week in the season, White Sox already, you know, they're they're walking into October. Tigers are not playing in it. Like, that, you know, Best Revenge is living well, and right now they're living about as well as anybody in baseball. Mike Wright, I have a job for you. Yeah. <laughs>
1: You know every time he goes on the mound i just i'm expecting him to hit someone i mean he's gonna get hit i mean he's gonna get lit up and he's gonna allow some runs but i am expecting him to hit someone and uh if, he, if mike wright enters a game <laughs> this weekend uh he's hitting someone i just know it Who is he that? Gets suspended for what, what big deal he's going to the kbo next year
2: who is that nba player who got racked up like four fouls in a minute I'm trying to think. Like he was basically just a designated fouler. I know um, what you're talking
3: about. I can't think of it. I always go to Rashid Wallace for the technicals, but
1: <laughs> was it Ron Artest early? Ron Artest? No, it was just.
3: It was just some like uh, goon. Bubble Wells just... fouled out in three minutes. Yeah. <laughs> what? I, three I, minutes. I, Bubble, Bubble Wells had a three-minute foul out once in the NBA.
1: S- six fouls in three minutes. <laughs>
3: I could watch the video, but I don't think it would translate well to the media. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. All
1: right. Well, so there you go. Uh, Mike Wright is Bubba Wells.
2: Yeah, the Bubba Wells at baseball.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it it should be a very fun weekend. The one thing that Mm -hmm. I'm I'm hoping that we see is Jose Abreu hit a home run and get to 30. Uh, I've been noticing he's pressing at the plate. Uh, Every time he has an opportunity to drive in runs, he's he's back in the swing mode. He's not making great contact as of late. I don't think he's going to win the RBI title. Salvador Perez is a pretty lengthy lead over Abreu right now. That could change over the weekend, but I would really like to see Abreu get to hit another home run in front of what should be packed crowds this weekend. Especially Friday and Saturday. I have been told that Saturday is a sellout for the White Sox against the Detroit Tigers. Cool. If he can run into one uh over the weekend and get to that home run number thirty for him, that, that's a milestone for him. And and maybe that gets him going into the postseason where he can catch on fire. And we know when a Brave's hot, he can most definitely carry the team and When you got Luis Robert hitting like he has and Yasmani Grandal and Eloy Jimenez is showing some life, then it's time to get really excited about the White Sox chances of knocking out Houston in the American League Divisional Series. But that will do it for this episode of Sox Machine Live, the final Sox Machine Live episode we have for the 2021 season. Thank you guys so much for watching the live stream over the weeks of the regular season on youtube.com slash socks machine. This was a new format for for us uh, moving into video during the stream. And uh, it's been a blast, especially the comment section in YouTube. And we've got great feedback as far as uh, during the live stream. So thank you guys so much uh, for being part of that and making this transition really smooth for us. And uh, great to hear from everyone as well uh, that got a chance to watch the live stream during the regular season. So this is what's going to happen when we shift gears here uh, the upcoming week, uh, next week as far as upcoming episodes of the Sox Machine podcast. So we're going to be back on Monday. So we will be recapping what happens over the final weekend of the series against the Detroit Tigers. That episode is going to be just like your normal Monday morning episode of the Sox Machine podcast. Jim and I will also have the fools, errand of trying to predict what's going to happen in the postseason. We'll make our playoff predictions. And I'm sure Jim uh, will have crazy predictions that – Pretty much happen like they almost did last year. Uh, I'm expecting a lot of St. Louis Cardinals, and that's, that's just what I'm expecting. But anyways, so that episode's going to be happening on Monday. On Wednesday, I am getting some A-listers together, and I will be recording another playoff preview podcast that we released on Wednesday from folks all over the national landscape as far as media with Major League Baseball. So I'm really looking forward to that episode. You definitely know who these people are. I don't want to jinx it because, uh, you know, my maybe my computer has a meltdown and I can't record them. So I don't want to get you guys too pumped up. But there will be another playoff preview episode of the Sox Machine podcast on Wednesday, October 6th. And then we go into games one and two, October 7th and eighth, Thursday and Friday. We will be recording recap episodes of the Sox Machine podcast after those games. So definitely something that if you can catch in the middle of the night or you'll catch it in the morning, we'll be recapping that game and breaking down the critical moments and the critical decisions of each of the postseason games During the White Sox postseason run in October before the game. If you have Twitter, you can follow me on Twitter at SoxMachine underscore Josh. There I will be having pregame Twitter spaces. So we'll bring in other folks from other White Sox blogs and podcasts like our friends from the 108. Uh, We'll be all together. We'll be previewing those games. Uh, They're always a lot of fun and can have the opportunity to open up the mics so for those that are in the twitter space uh, you'll get an opportunity to provide your comments or ask questions to us as well it's a very interactive platform and it's been great to use all season so again follow me on twitter at socks underscore josh so you can be part of those twitter spaces before each of the postseason games this october for the Chicago White Sox. So those are the plans for the Sox Machine podcast, uh, at least for the next week. And we'll see how far this goes for the White Sox, and hopefully is a very deep October run. But I do wanna give a shout out to Bennett Carroll. Bennett, you have been awesome to us this season. Thank you so much for your help with the White Sox wake up calls and for helping us out with Sox Machine Live. And it's been great to have you on for this season.
3: It's been it's been my pleasure, guys. I got the uh, the new mic just in time to not need it as much. Uh, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure on my side as well. Uh, thanks. All
1: right, so Jim, until Sunday, sir, we'll be recapping what happened against Detroit and seeing how this entire mess shakes out as far as the American League on who gets the final wild card spots for Looking the postseason. If you just discovered Sox Machine Live or Sox Machine Period, you can follow us on Twitter. We are at Sox Machine. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash And for our podcast, you can subscribe to the Sox Machine Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have, again, if you're new to Sox Machine or a longtime lurker or listener of Sox Machine, and if you don't support us on Patreon, Think about supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com/socksmachine. We have several different tiers of monthly support. Our Patreon supporters get ad-free versions of both the podcast and website. They get exclusive content and they get first opportunity to purchase new socks machine swag, like our socks machine pint glasses. And we also have annual plans now that you save nine percent off of the monthly plan. So if you enjoy our work and you want more. Go to patreon.com slash to sign up today. Sox Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Bennett Carroll and Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for watching and listening.